The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Storytelling inspires, engages, and moves people to action. It's a superpower that anyone can learn. Welcome to Story Powered with your host, Leanne Pico. Stories can hold you back, and stories can move you forward. Let our program help you activate your storytelling superpower and take your business to the next level. Now, here is Leanne Pico. So welcome to the Story Powered Radio Show. Um, It's Sean Callahan. I'm your guest host for today, and it's my great pleasure to have David Hutchins with me. Um, he is a, an author of this fabulous new book called The Circle of the Nine Muses and, and, and a great story practitioner who's a, he's a friend and, and I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation. So uh, welcome, David. Well, thank you, Sean, and I'm honoured to have you as part of this conversation as well. <laughs> you know, it's funny, we... Um, we actually only met for the first time probably about, what, three or four weeks ago. Um, and even though we'd known of our, each other's work for some time, we you know we'd been sort of dipping in and out of the things that we do. But we had our first conversation uh, over Skype, of course. Uh, it was only uh, a few weeks ago. It was fabulous. It was great to finally meet. And it, uh, when we had that conversation, it surprised me because I've been familiar with your work for so long. I couldn't believe that we had never spoken before. It felt like we knew each other. Right, right. It, it wasn't the Australian accent, the three or anything like that. <laughs> well, that still throws me. I, I have no idea what <laughs> you just said. <laughs> so one of the things we talked about was um, that, you know, we, we, we run into all sorts of really interesting issues with our customers around how they they do their storytelling, how they can make the most of it. And we started to list off, you know, like the common issues that we face and you know at the end of that conversation we thought actually that would actually be a really good extra conversation for us to have so I thought maybe today that's what we should do is we'll we'll step through some of those those topics that you know get us thinking about how we can help our customers even better and uh, and hopefully that'll help our listeners today in terms of their storytelling practices. Yeah so so this will be an FAQ webinar, these are the questions that you and I hear most often over the years of doing this work. Absolutely. Now, one of the, one of the ones that uh, has struck me just recently, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that I, I coach a, a range of different customers uh, all, all over the world. And one of the things I've noticed that some people, they just get it. You know, they, they get the whole storytelling thing. Next thing you know, they're off sharing stories and, and making a real difference in their communication. But then I have another group who kind of get it logically and rationally. But then when I see their practice, like they'll send a video to me of them, you know, sort of giving a presentation or, uh, or a talk of some sort. And I notice that they don't really, um, they don't really include that many stories or any stories. And it's, it flummoxed me that this happens. And, um, 
And it reminded me of that work that uh, Bob Sutton and Jeff Pfeiffer, they wrote a book called The Knowing Doing Gap. You know, this idea that sometimes we know something, but we don't actually do it. And um, I would I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, what's some of the things that, have you ever seen that for one thing? And, you know, and is there anything we can do to help folk, you know, sort of get better at jumping that gap, that knowing doing gap? Yeah, I... I have seen that. I, I, I didn't call it the knowing doing gap, but that's, that's a perfect descriptor of the phenomenon because you're right. I see it all the time. Um, you know, in, in these story programs, we talk about how intuitive and natural the talent of story is or, or whether it's a talent or not, that just the capacity for story is something we already do. So sometimes I just assume, oh, they're going to go back and apply this. And you're right. There are some people who can't cross that threshold of actually bringing this intuitive thing back into the work. And, um, you know, my career has been in organizational learning. So in a sense, this is what I've been doing for the past 20 years is behavior change. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get people to do something different? And, uh, you know, there's, there's a theory of adult learning that I, I come back to, and I use it a lot um, when I design programs. Have you ever seen, Sean, the Kolb learning cycle? Oh, yeah, the learning cycle. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, I keep coming back to that. The Kolb learning cycle is, is based on how adults learn and how they connect knowledge to their, their world and to their behaviors. And it says that there's four stages of learning, and I'll, I'll say quickly what they are. Concrete experience, yep. reflect, reflective observation, abstract conceptualization, and then active experimentation. So concrete experience, y- you do something, you know, like you, you get on a bike and you ride your bike and then you fall and skin your knee. Or yep. in our case, it would be, all right, let's, let's tell some stories to one another. So now we've had this really rich experience of, all right, I told a story, I heard a story from my colleagues. I felt something uh, that was a really interesting experience. Then we moved to reflective observation. So what just happened there? What did you notice about the phenomenon overall of you know, just creating a story circle? What did you feel? What did you notice about the other person? So all these kind of self-reflective conversations. And from yeah, there, we did yeah. abstract conceptualization. You know, this is where I say, well, actually, everything you just said, that's right in line with the theory. There are frameworks that validate what you just noticed, or there's theory, or you know, increasingly a lot of it's coming from neuroscience. You know, we can talk about oxytocin and cortisol and all that, um, but we put a conceptual framework on it to validate what they've experienced, and then we go to active experimentation based on what you know now. All right, you've got a program coming up, you've got a sales meeting, you've got a speech. Let's practice that right now. So that's active experimentation. That's bridging it back to the real world. So I find myself naturally kind of going through that process. And my my programs kind of match that. So that's one thought about the knowing-doing gap. That might be a little bit academic, but I keep coming back to that. Well, it sort of reminds me, uh, last week I was up in Brisbane helping an architectural firm uh, prepare themselves for a pitch. You know, they have this multi-million dollar pitch that they want to, um, well, they have to deliver in the next couple of weeks. 
And we definitely use that sort of approach of getting them to uh, start with that concrete experience because I sort of just said to them, look, the best way to do this is for you to just pitch to me. Right? So after a bit of discussion and working out what they wanted to do, uh, they pitched to me. And then what we could do is we could stop them at different points and sort of say, okay, so what would be the, you know, the, the little uh, real-life experience that you could share there to help them understand what that really means? And it was a, a nice iterative process. We probably went through that cold learning cycle without even thinking about it. But, um, but I think this idea of getting people to actually do it and then reflect on it is actually a much better way than trying to work out the abstract concept and then work out how to do it. Yeah. And I think that might be the mistake. That might be something that when you're doing Skype sort of coaching, it's hard, a bit harder to do, but uh, it seems to come more naturally when you're face-to-face with people. You're right. I, I have not actively you know, planned my programs to follow the Kolb learning cycle. It was only after I went back and looked at the Kolb cycle again and I thought, Wow, that's kind of what I've been doing, and it's been working. So, <laughs> oh, it's good. You know what they say: there's nothing more practical than a good theory. So, you know, <laughs> you were living, right. you were living that out. That's right. <laughs> hey, one of the other things that I know we we started to talking about is, um, you know, it's just the role of emotion and uh, and vulnerability in these sort of stories that people tell. Um, and and I know that you get this question, I get it as well, but is there a point where you've, you've shared too much, you know, where there's some possibility of potentially losing credibility in the way you share a story? Um, is that something that you'd like to expand on? Give us some thoughts on that, David. That, that is a question that comes up um, often, not in every program, but it comes up all the time, you know, with, do I lose my credibility as a leader if I reveal emotion? And um, it's funny because uh, a, a few weeks ago I did a program um, here in my hometown. of I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I, I, I did a story circle experience for a group of uh, homeless men uh, at a homeless shelter. They wanted to bring in some story work. So it's a group of Nashville's homeless on a cold night and uh, we had a story circle and at the end they were reflecting on how meaningful it was to share stories and, you know, just, you know, what people always say, wow, that was special. That was meaningful. Something significant happened here. And then one guy said, I'm afraid to take this back out to the street. I feel like what we did in here, the stories we shared, it's safe in here in this circle. But if I took this out on the street, if I shared stories like that, someone would take advantage of me. He said someone would stab me if I did that. Wow, really? Holy smokes. And so my response to him was, it's funny that you say that because I just had this exact same conversation with a group of executive leaders in a Fortune 500 company, and they said the same thing. Wow, what I shared here in this program, it felt safe. But if I brought this out into the organization, the fear isn't getting stabbed. But, <laughs> right? But, Except perhaps in the back. That's right. <laughs> Except metaphorically stabbed. But it's the same fear. And yeah. so I think what happens is when people have this story sharing experience, it's so rich and it, it just it unleashes their humanness 
in a way that they're not used to feeling that it is vulnerable. And there's this fear that this isn't going to work elsewhere. And Sean, my, my feeling is, and I don't know this for sure. I think that the, it's more fear than reality. You know, I, I, I always say to leaders, well, what if you did tell stories like this back with your team? What, what do you think would happen? And my sense is the vulnerability that they're feeling doesn't quite match the reality of what would actually happen. Yeah, yeah. I like to think of uh, this, um, I have this idea of uh, what I call an intimacy spectrum, right? And there's a slider dial that you can move up to, you know, like stories you would tell your closest confidants versus stories you would tell to the general public. And, you know, the, the level of intimacy changes along that spectrum. Um, but I agree. I, I think people dialing things too far back in terms of emotion for their colleagues uh, in amongst them, they, they just don't sense that they would actually work out well. But, in fact, nearly in every case, it's highly appreciated by uh, the people that they're working with. It gives them an insight into what the person's real character is and what they care about. And I think that's the thing that people want to know so that they can work out, okay, so is this a person I want to work with? You know, that's, that's where the connection is actually made. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting area, isn't it? Uh, that's funny. I, I also talk about the – I call it the uh, intimacy – Threshold. So I, I oh, really? That's interesting. Yep. yeah, I've had a similar conversation, and um, it's it's like this invisible boundary. It's such an interesting thing. It's it's cultural, you know. It, it it's organizationally cultural that people know where that threshold of intimacy is, and as you get closer to it, people start getting a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm a proponent of scooting right up to that threshold. You know, and, and take risks, share something a little bit personal or vulnerable. Uh, and, and you're right. You don't have to go over the top. You don't have to way overshoot where that boundary is, but you can scoot right up next to it. And uh, I think you'll be surprised at how people in the organization respond. I think people want to reveal more of themselves in the organization. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, and tell me, in, in, in terms of that intimacy spectrum, um, how do you go about helping people get to that edge? You know, like you sort of say, you're bringing it right up to the edge there. I mean, how do they judge that? Is it... it's, it's an intuitive thing. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I've said, I, I don't know if this answers that question or not, uh, but one thing I've said to groups that um, – seems to help them is I make a distinction between describing emotion and displaying emotion. And, um, you know, what I discover is a lot of groups start assuming that, oh, when I tell a story, if I tell a sad story, you know, what if my eyes get a little bit misty or what if I start crying in front of the group? You know, I would lose my credibility. And so the thing I always tell people is, well, you know, actually, people want to see that the that their leaders have, um, you know, that that emotional intelligence skill of self regulation and self management. So, actually, yeah. I think if I were to begin crying in front of an audience, 
that does change the dynamic. Now I've given them a problem to solve. You know, oh no, David's upset. We have to help him. And it it changes the energy. So I always tell people, you, you don't have to display emotion. You can simply describe emotion. Tell a story about a time that uh, you felt distraught or yeah. angry. You, you, you can very dispassionately describe grief as a leader without displaying it on your face. And the way story works is simply describing emotion triggers that emotional resonance and recognition in the audience. So a lot of, audi- a lot of groups that I work with appreciate that distinction and they go, Oh, well, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That that seems to be acceptable, doesn't it? Yeah. Mind you, I, I, um, I remember um, running a, a program with a group of executives and the leader was this very uh, forthright, kind of tough uh, woman who, a uh, German woman, who didn't show hardly any emotion on a day-to-day basis. But in the session, um, she had to tell the story of her success and it was an amazing success that she had. And just towards the end of that, she started to, to cry. And it was a group of about 16 people around a table, her direct reports. And it was a real interesting change in that whole group at that point. They came around, they gave her a hug. Everything was fine, but it really did make a difference in terms of just how they, they started to appreciate the big change that occurred in that particular organisation. So it was a, it was a really uh, sort of pivotal moment i think in in terms of you know how they thought about their leader um etc so yeah so anyway it's, a, it's an interesting one um yeah now we're, we're just moving up to a break i think uh, david so i tell you what um how about we we sort of relax now go get a cup of coffee and okay. um, we'll come back and we'll have our next segment and and talk through some of these other these other topics that um Uh, that we've got listed here so fantastic they'll do well excellent your favorite voice america talk radio network shows and hosts are in your car outdoors and wherever you need them to be listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market activate and grow your storytelling superpower with leanne pico of very good stories stories inspire stories engage and stories move people to action it's pretty powerful stuff story coach leanne pico will help you develop your storytelling skills to be a more effective leader build a more powerful brand or create a team of storytelling powerhouses you can email leanne at leanne at verygoodstories.com or check out her website at verygoodstories.com contact leanne today to grow your storytelling superpower You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan and co-host Gisela Gonzalez. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel, and get Amplified. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Story Powered with Leanne Pico. If you want to find out more about Leanne or the program, connect with us on the web at VeryGoodStories.com. Now, back to Story Powered. Well, welcome back. Uh, hope you all had a, a nice break. Uh, now, David, you do a lot of travel in your work, you know, and I know that you're, 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 you do quite a lot of storytelling work over in France, right? Right. And we were chatting before about some of the cultural differences that we've noticed in storytelling. I, actually, I get to ask this question all the time, you know. Do stories differ depending where you are around the world? And uh, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. You know, what have you noticed as you've done your travels? Yeah, um, you know, especially when I do programs in Europe. Uh, it took me a while to notice this or to diagnose what was going on. Um, but I, I discovered that my European audiences were looking at me with a little bit of suspicion. You know, here's here's this American coming over to Europe to tell us about storytelling. And I, I could even, you know, sometimes I even saw it in their postures, you know, with their, you know, crossed arms. And I, uh, I occasionally felt a resistance and I wondered what it was. And so, you know, there's... Uh, there's a video that I, I love to show. It's it's from Southwest Airlines. It's on YouTube. Oh, yeah. uh, and it, it, I like it because it's a really nice example of how an organization can tell stories about its values. Um, and there's a lot of you know conversation we can have about it. And so I've shown it a couple times. You know, when I show it in, here in the United States, I mean, it's, it's just beautifully done and people usually start crying because it's such a personal, emotional story about Southwest that's being told. When I've shown it in France, my crowd, my audience has nearly turned against me. Oh, really? <laughs> they have, oh, they've gone, that was terrible. I mean, they hate that. Not everybody does, but some people just have this visceral reaction. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've ruined the program. And, and now we have a conversation about it. It's quite the rich discussion. So what is it about that that doesn't connect? And I've discovered there's this, this belief, this European belief that American storytelling is all about performance. It's emotionally syrupy. It's manipulative. Um, you know, that, that Europeans think that Americans want to turn everything into a Disney production. You know, even when they come to the United States to our sales meetings, it's always loud music and bright lights, and they think that's ridiculous. It's, it, it doesn't read as authentic. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I remember seeing that video, and I, I think Australians have a similar response, a little sceptical response to, to um, you know, that more very polished story. I, I also wondered, too, whether, you know, you have these different, approaches to storytelling which is you know really relates to where you've come from so i see uh, for example people coming out of the dramatic arts and uh, you know advertising doing what i would call big s storytelling it's you know beautifully structured you know great plot structures character developments uh, all that great stuff um, 
but it has sometimes has that sort of impact of being a bit too polished. Whereas right at the other end of the spectrum, you've got what I, I tend to work with is what I call small S stories. You know, those just those tiny experiences that people have and, uh, you know, real life examples. And I think if you've come from, you know, like an ethnography, uh, anthropology sort of background, you tend to see, you know, you're working with those types of stories as you are trying to make sense of uh, cultural issues in organisations. And so they tend to be the type of stories you work with. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just sort of sensing maybe there, there are quite different traditions in uh, business storytelling out there. Yeah, um, I think that's right. And, you know, I, I, we're talking about the cultural differences. I think what's yeah. interesting is how much is the same. Yeah, uh, true. Because uh, I think a lot of the differences are and, – and you're welcome to push back against me here. But I, I think a lot of the differences are relatively superficial. You know, in, in the example I just shared, all right, you know, the, the Europeans don't like the the syrupy music. There's pretty piano music in the background and everybody in the video is hugging each other. And, OK, well, what if we what if we took that stuff out and they say, oh, well, it's it's a great story. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you say it's, it's you say you say right. I mean, you know, stories have time markers, stories have events, stories have, you know, something unanticipated happening. You know, there is. There is just these core, you know, stories of people doing things. I, I must admit, I do push against the whole, um, you know, sort of hero's journey approach to storytelling because I can give you examples where stories don't have heroes. And, you know, a classic example is, uh, you know, coincidence stories. You know, these coincidence, happen. we love these stories, right? We love a coincidence story, but there's no hero, there's no challenge, there's no overcoming challenges or anything like that. Um, but getting back to the, the sort of yeah. international cultural differences, I guess, I think you're so right. I mean, the stories are at the core of them are exactly the same. I, in the work that we do in Asia, for example, you know, I see exactly the same type of stories being told, um, which is fabulous. It just shows you how much depth and, and how embedded storytelling is across the world. Right. And so I, I think when you talk about story structure, we can talk about it in very similar ways all around the world. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, if, if you are in Europe and you're coming to America to make a presentation, then, you know what, go ahead and turn up the music a little bit. Americans love that junk, you know. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I'll turn the music down when I come to Europe, all right? I'll, I'll dial it down a little bit. Yeah, I used to work with. Uh, I used to work in IBM, and I had a a, a guy I worked with who is um, a fabulous communicator. And I remember sitting with him one day, and he was sending an email to a colleague in America. And as he started emailing it, you know, he was he was composing this email. He was bringing out all the extra sort of wow factors in how he would talk, like "Hey there, man," you know, like there's all this sort of stuff. And I'm going, really. What are, you, what are you doing here? He says, oh, no, no, they love this stuff. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Hey, let's, let's switch tack a little bit, right? Um, okay. So we've talked about storytelling quite a bit. But, you know, you and I both uh, do a lot in what I would call story listening, a listening, uh, a listening stories, you know, for people. And, and I guess it'd be really interesting to have a quick chat about, you know, where do you find some of the good stories to tell? How do you help people, you know, discover uh, good stories? Yeah. 
So that you, so in our uh, FAQs, this is another one of the questions that come up all the time. How do I find stories? And I've never gotten a close look um, at, at your programs, Sean. I'm, I'm dying to, to see them and, and uh, participate in them. Uh, often when I work with groups, we spend a lot of time on story mining. And um, I like that term, mining. Yep, you know, yep. the, the, the idea that there are narrative assets in the organization buried like gold and you don't know where they are. You, you got to dig. And um, and so the idea is that, um, um, you know, in the or, in the organization, we're going to create a story culture. So I, I usually don't start with how to tell a great story. I usually start with how do we create this culture where we are all immersed in story practice, where we become comfortable sharing our stories with one another or soliciting stories uh, from from each other. Um, so usually when I bring people together in a group and I ask them to start sharing stories around, you know, any given topic, whether it's trust or the organization's values or innovation or whatever, at the end, I usually ask, did you know about those stories? And everyone goes, no, we had no idea that all this, inc- all these incredible things were happening in our organization. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's so it's, true. You have to create these opportunities for people to come together. It doesn't happen by itself. You have to be purposeful. Hey, Sean, tell me some stories. Tell me a story about the toughest customer you ever had and how you overcame their objections. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, if I had that's, that, you'd never tell me that. Yeah, that's very true. And 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 also just getting the context right. And uh, there, there are places that people will tend to share stories and there are other places where they don't, you know. And I've I got a feeling you, you have to have a little bit of space. You have to have a little bit of time. You have, certainly have to have rapport with the person you're sharing the story with. Uh, otherwise, you clam up. You don't give them because stories are, you know, in a way they give you a lot of insight into a person. So if you don't have that trust, uh, yeah, you tend to hold back a little bit, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, you know, the, the one of the you're talking about mining, right? Uh, I have a section in my book. Um, so I'm just publishing a book at the moment um, called uh, "Putting Stories to Work," and I have a section in there about rough diamonds. And a rough diamond to me, there are some people who can see a diamond, you know, and they. But it's still a rough diamond. They're, they're willing to po- polish it up into something that could be told as a story. And there's this gentleman, and it's interesting, he's also in the, the field of homelessness, but he heads up, he's a CEO of uh, Melbourne City Mission, a guy called Rick Holland. And Rick, uh, I was sitting with him, and he said to me that, um, that he, had, he has this program that he runs in the city, and if you like, there is... Um, uh, you know, they've got these young folk who are trying to help people, you know, get off the streets, essentially. And one day, these, uh, this gentleman just walks up to his, his workers and he's dressed in a suit and he's, he's looking, you know, very uh, prosperous fellow. And he walks up and he just pulls out a series of photographs and he starts showing the photographs to the people um, who were on King Street. And he sort of said, you know, this is me and my wife and, um, and here are my kids, uh, you know, they're, they're teenagers now. And, uh, and he goes through his sort of uh, his, his group of pictures. And, and at the end, he uh, just says, guys, I just want to thank you because 15 years ago, 
you were helping me. Right? Oh, wow. Anyway, so I hear this story, and I must admit I got sort of tingles, you know, listening to this story, and Rick told it in a much better way than I did. But then he said, then Rick said to me, you know what, Sean, you know how I heard that story? My guys came up from King Street to the office, and they said, uh, oh, we had this guy come up to us today with a bunch of photos. So apparently we helped him. That was the story, right? And and so and so he then eked out all the other details and worked out the, the biggest story and told it as a narrative. Oh and wow. I thought I thought that was that was absolutely you know craftsmanship in you know in action. And and so what do you call that? A, a rough diamond story? Well I th- to me I just think I didn't call it a rough diamond. I just it is a bit of a rough diamond. He could see the he could see the diamond in there somewhere. He just had to do a bit of work to actually get the story out properly. You know, he only just got the the inkling of the story there, but uh, he was able to turn it into something that was, you know, had impact. And for his business, it's a story that he needs to tell. That what he's doing makes a difference. I love that because you know, if you're a leader in the organization, you you build the identity of the the organization by purposefully looking for stories that say something about who we are yep. and our mission and how we do what we do and so the the storytelling leader is a purposeful and strategic storyteller so the leader picks up hints of stories and then it, it's mining you know it's it's diamonds in the rough it's exactly what you just said oh i I need to hear more about that story. I think there's something there. I'm going to go chase that down because that's a narrative asset that I need to share with others in the organization. That's strategic leadership storytelling. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's, he's quite uh, wonderful in how he does it. So, um, yeah, he's, a, he's a, f- a great fellow to, to meet. So tell me, what are, the, what are the other things? What are the other little tips that you um, – you share with people to help them find good stories. You know, do you do you give them any ideas on um, artifacts that they could use, or um, or places to go, or anything like that? Oh, there's so many ideas. So, um, so my book that that came out last year is Circle of the Nine Muses, yeah, uh, a, a storytelling field guide for innovators and meaning makers, and it's loaded with lots and lots of ideas for where do you find stories? Because I have lots of people say. I don't have any stories, which is ridiculous because, of course, you do. You you have so many stories, you can't possibly begin to tell them all. Everyone has stories. Um, so, you know, all right, off the top of my head, here's an easy one. And I've seen this one work very well. Uh, take out your wallet or your purse and find an item in your wallet and share it with the group and tell the story about why this item is meaningful to you. Ah, wow. Interesting. So now, so now you've got this little physical thing in your hand that becomes the knowledge artifact. It becomes the metaphorical representation of whatever this narrative is. And it gives you something to focus on and it gives the audience something to focus on. It's a very easy story trigger. Yeah. Uh, um, so that's one way to go. Another way to go is um, I have a construct – uh, in Circle of the Nine Muses called the Four Core Stories. And it says there are certain stories you should be looking for, stories that fall in these categories. It's uh, stories of identity. You know, that's the who stories. Yeah, Sto- yeah, stories yeah. of values. 
You know, if your organization says your values are quality and excellence and customer service, okay, let's start there. Tell me about the most remarkable example of customer service you've ever seen. And people go, can I oh, just I, ju- yeah. Can I just jump in there, David? Because one of the things I find really interesting about that is that there'll be companies that espouse that, you know, customer service is their um, value. But when you ask them to give you an example and they can't tell you one, I must admit, I'm always got a question mark as to whether they really value it. Oh, you I. Know, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Well, it, I've seen it even worse. Um, what, if I start with the values, I'll say, let's tell stories about your values. What are the values at this company? And even with a group of senior leaders, they'll all look at each other and get embarrassed because they can't, they can't remember what the values are. <laughs> and they, they're, they're ashamed. It's like, oh, we should know that. Yeah. Yeah, and you're yeah. right. The, so the values can be a dead document hanging up in the lobby that only cause cynicism, or you can bring them to life and make them a source of vitality for the organization by telling stories about quality or excellence. And if you don't have stories like that, find one. Find quality at its best. Begin you know, search for it. You need those stories so now you're starting to make quality real. Now it, it's starting to mean something here. By That's telling right. the story of us at our best, it actually serves as a vision also. Yeah. Oh, That's imagine so true. if now, like that all the time. Now, I, we're going to break right now, but when we get back, we'll hear from David his other two key story types we have to have in our back pockets. Uh, so let's just have a quick break and we'll be back right in a moment. Good. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Activate and grow your storytelling superpower with Leanne Pico of Very Good Stories. Stories inspire, stories engage, and stories move people to action. It's pretty powerful stuff. Story coach Leanne Pico will help you develop your storytelling skills to be a more effective leader, build a more powerful brand, or create a team of storytelling powerhouses. You can email Leanne at leanne at verygoodstories.com or check out her website at verygoodstories.com. Contact Leanne today to grow your storytelling superpower. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Story Powered with Leanne Pico. If you want to find out more about Leanne or the program, connect with us on the web at VeryGoodStories.com. Now, back to Story Powered. 
So we are back, and uh, I am not Sean. This is David seizing control of the conversation, because I want to ask you a question, uh, Sean. Okay, right here. Uh, Because, you know, uh, prior to this call, uh, I I love this idea of what are the questions that always come up for you. And you shared one with me, and you said that um, a lot of people ask you, what are the lessons from oral stories that can be applied to written stories. And when you shared that question, I even thought about it. I thought, hmm, I'm not sure I've thought through that. I, I don't know if I would have a wise answer for that. And so I, I'm so intrigued by the question. So tell me a little bit more about that, Sean. Well, I often get um, like communications teams, marketing and communications teams who um, want to learn about storytelling. And in their mind, they, they spend most of their time writing stuff, right? So they're writing things for the web page. They're writing memos and, and messages and speeches and, and whatnot. And so they're kind of interested in the written element of it. But the work that I do is primarily on oral storytelling. Um, and so it's about, for me, it's about sort of helping them with a bit of the translation. What can you learn from this oral approach that translates into the written world? And one of, the, one of the very simple areas, I think, is I call it um, trying to avoid the S word, right? So I find that in storytelling, one of the big traps that leaders can fall into is they fall in love with storytelling and then they start telling everyone that they're telling stories. Yes. Right? right? They say things like they'll stand in front of a group and they'll start off by saying, well, guys, um, yeah, thanks for coming today. Um, I just want to start off by uh, sharing just a story with you. Oh, my uh, goodness. This is a pet peeve of mine. Yes. I know. And, and you can see the whole audience just groan and eye roll and, you know, just about everything you can imagine, all thinking that, you know, why are you wasting my time and, you know, you know why do you treat us like children and you're just making this up and, and this is entertainment when we're here for work. I mean, there's... There's just so many negative connotations to that word story. And so I say to them, you just have to avoid it. You just have to, at all costs, don't use the story word. Um, and and so, I, so I, I take it that you, you had that sort of same feeling when, uh, uh, you know, when, when you see leaders do something similar, David? Well, and the, the flip side is if you're trying to get your team to tell stories, yep. the wrong way to do it is, Hey guys, let's let's sit down and do some storytelling together. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. It's destined to fail because once you say storytelling, people start thinking, "Oh, I'd better construct a good story with a, a, a protagonist and a plot." I mean, it kind of puts them in this performance anxiety mindset, you know? Yeah, and it shuts it's, it. Down. Yeah, it's a, I find it as as useful as the other bit of story advice you hear from people, which is you must have a beginning, middle, and end. Which I find the most useful piece of useless piece of advice that right. anyone can provide you. I mean, it doesn't help you at all. But let's go back to the translation between you know, that lesson into the written world, right? So, in the written world, if you go to people's web pages, you know, the obvious one is that they will do things like our stories or customer stories. Um, right. And but the less obvious one is that they'll write a piece of text. And they'll italicize and indent the stories. And, and essentially what they're saying to the reader is, 
I'm about to tell you a story. Here's a story, guys. Oh, and, wow. That's good. And business people just tend to skip over it because they think, oh, well, I just want the facts. Just give me the, the, you know, the good information. I don't need the stories. Now, you contrast to that to say, for example, you take a great business writer like Malcolm Gladwell, right? He starts every chapter of his books with stories. You know, there's the, he'll just start off in, in 1997, you know, and off he goes, tells the first story. Does he indent his stories? No. Does he italicize them? No. He just goes, bam, straight into the stories, tells the story, and then after the story, he talks about what that meant, right, and what, what can you draw from that. And to me, that's the pattern that you're looking for. You, you, you tell your story, you, you, which to me, you know, I, remember, uh, I know that Annette Simmons talks about stories being a pull strategy versus a push strategy, right? Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that's what you're doing. By telling the story first, you're not kicking off that confirmation bias. Um, you are allowing people to pull the story in so that they can take in more information about something that they would normally fight a little bit. And then you can start to talk about what that means. So anyway, that's just one thing that you know is a translation. But all the other things are... Absolutely true. Like, you know, stories starting with time markers and place markers, stories being made of events, um, something happening that's unanticipated, you know, all the issues around emotion and, um, you know, transporting people to a point in time and imagery and the importance of imagery to, to help you, um, you know, really feel that you're there. Actually, just this issue of image, I think, is, is vitally important in storytelling. And for me, I just say to people to help people see it happening. So, you know, when I told you the story about, um, you know, the, the guy with his photographs, you know, as you're telling that story, people can see that guy standing there with the photographs yeah. right? and having yeah. the conversation and, and uh, standing there in his suit. And, and it's because we're focusing on a single moment, right? Images come from moments, and unfortunately, a lot of writing we do and a lot of storytelling we do is so high level that we don't get to the moment. And it's the moment that you remember. It's the moment that has the emotion. Um, so anyway, that's, that's something that sort of springs to mind for me in, in terms of that translation. That's terrific. That is all gold. And, you know, as you were talking about, um, you know, the people who start the story with, let me tell you a story. I had this image of imagine if you were watching, you know, Star Wars Episode Seven or any movie, and you're watching the movie, but on the sides of the screen you see the director standing, and if you saw the guy holding the boom mic that you know dangles down over the scene, and it it would break the spell. You know, you're aware yeah. of the context that we're we're creating this moment, and if you say, "Let me tell you a story." It's a similar effect. It breaks yeah. the spell. It yeah. calls attention to the device. And if you don't call attention to the device, then it just it, it becomes invisible. It becomes immersive. And now you can find yourself inside of it. That's uh, it. Too. So that, that's a beautiful point. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Now, um, there's probably other things we could talk about there. But I'm, I'm also interested in one of the other FAQs that we've written down and that this idea that will people misinterpret my story? You know, like I'll tell a story and 
I thought it was going to be about X, but the people took a totally different meaning from that story, and it's now caused me some pain down the down the track. Um, is that something that, you know? It's clearly something you've you've come across. So I'd love to get your thoughts on it. A, do, you know, where does it happen, and and what sort of things do you do to to help people through that um, that issue? Yeah, that is a question that comes up a lot. What if someone misinterprets my story? And my response is, oh, you you can count on that. You know, it's not every time, but but expect it. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the, the trade-off of story is, um, you know, I, we have this high engagement. When I tell you a story, we connect and, you know, it, it engages people in this special and different way. So you get the high engagement, but you lose a little bit of control because of the interpretive process. And you don't know what context or mental models that people are, are bringing. Kind of like with my Southwest video story, right? I, I thought that that was a great story and everybody yep. hated it you know, in, in a different context. So that's why I tell people that when we, when we tell a story, that's never the end of a conversation. A story is always the beginning of a conversation. Um, so when you tell a story, the next part of the conversation is, so what did you hear? And, um, you know, whenever I tell you, whenever a story is being told, there's, there's, Two stories happening. There is the espoused story, the story that you're telling. Yep. And then there is the experienced story. That's what I'm experiencing. And there may be a high level of overlap and um, uh, coherence between the two, in which case I will feel this strong sense of connection. But if I perceive that there's a, a, a large gap between the story you tell and the story that I've experienced or that I'm perceiving, the broader the gap, the more tension or disconnect or even anger I'm going to feel. If there's a big gap, I'm going to think, Sean's trying to manipulate me because what he's saying does not match what I've experienced. Yeah, right, right. And I'll say, I That's mean, so interesting. That's so interesting. And I hadn't really thought about that, especially that, uh, that, that tension that you talk about as it gets further and further away. Um, one of the things I get asked, which is sort of related to this, is someone will say, oh, so, but should I summarize the story at the end? And my preference is you don't. You just tell your story and you finish your story. And then, like you say, you, it's about the listener making sense of that story. And, and I love the idea of asking the question, so, you know, what does that mean to you? Because now you get a, a conversation going, if you can do that. But if you can't do it, I suspect, well, my, my, my sense is that you want to test out your stories. You want to sort of tell them. But here's the thing, and this is one a trap that's happened uh, that uh, my colleague actually fell into. He had this great story, like a connection story, helping people understand who he was. And he told this, he tested this connection story with me and a few others. And um, Santa, we're all going, this is fantastic connection. You should tell it. So he told this connection story. But it didn't go down with half the population. That was with the women in the room. Mm. He never tested it with a woman, mm. right? And I thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, again, you know, interpretations, how people take it away, um, and and so it was, a, it was a useful lesson in in just doing that. But what do you say about people who want to who summarize? You know, want to summarize their stories? What's your take on that? 
Oh, I have argued both sides of that. Have you? Okay. <laughs> I, I have. And I, I think it depends on the context because I think there are a lot of times when it's a valuable thing. It, if as a leader, you know, if you want to create alignment and bring everyone together, I think there are times when it's appropriate to say, so there's a reason I shared that with you. Because, you know, here at this organization, we, we say that we're an organization dedicated to safety and to me, that just illustrates the, the lengths that we're willing to go to create a, a context of safety. Yeah. So sometimes that connection, it, you can't always trust that everybody will land on the point that you want them to land on. And I don't think it's a bad thing to lead them there. At the same time, I think that there's great power in allowing the story to, to disrupt to tell a story and then let it let it work on people the way stories do. Don't tell them what to do with it. Um, and so to me, it's a strategic decision whether you want people to walk away opened up or if you want them to walk away having to come, come to a conclusion. Yeah, right. And, of course, these things are never a one-hit wonder, are they? It's not like a leader can do this once and, bam, you know, everyone's got it and they understand. It's about being consistent and being, you know, telling stories in an ongoing, continuous basis, if you like. Um, so it's, I, it's, I think it's a, to be strategic, that's what you end up having to do, right? You know, I, I have a series of books out called The Learning Fables. Um, you know, there's, I originally developed them for Coca-Cola a few years ago. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's silly stories with talking animals that illustrate principles of organizational learning theory, including systems theory and mental models. And, and so like the, the first story in the series is called Outlearning the Wolves. And it's a story about a flock of sheep that outwits a pack of hungry wolves. And in the process, they become a, a learning organization. And when I submitted it to a publisher, one of the conversations we had was um, I wanted the fable and the metaphor to stand on its own without any explanation at the end. And I said, if I explain the metaphors, that robs the reader of the process of making connections. And the publisher pushed back pretty hard on me and said, no, we, we need some kind of boundary or framework around this story so people know what to do with it. And, um, and so if you've ever seen those books, at the end, there's a little guide at the back that says, let's look at some of the messages. And it's a minimal amount of interpretation just to say – what you just this goes back to the cold learning cycle actually yeah. you know it's ab abstract conceptualization it's let me give you one way of thinking about this story and this metaphor and i've decided that the publisher was right without that guidance at the end the metaphors and the stories don't become very useful to my business audience yeah true now david uh, i think we're coming to the end of our our time here but it's been a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. But where would people find more information about your latest book? Where, where can you point them to, to so they can get access to some of these great tools that you've developed? Uh, come visit me at my website, davidhutchins.com. And Hutchins is spelled with an E-N-S, not an I-N-S. davidhutchins.com. And it's all there. Fantastic. Uh, similarly, how will people find... Your great work, Sean. Oh, well, I mean, again, we're, we're at anecdote.com. And if you're interested in, in my new book, uh, you just have to Google putting stories to work and you'll, you'll find it. 
Well, guys, it's been well, David. It's been uh, fantastic, and um, let's uh, let's look forward to the next time we have a, another great conversation. Thanks again for your time. Indeed, looking forward to it. Bye now. Thank you for joining us this week for Story Powered. Leanne Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help take your story and your business to the next level. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.